It is the morning show. I'm Kate Archer Kent. We meet a prolific children's author in Port Washington who is inspired by the beauty of Lake Michigan. Barbara Josie has written more than 55 books that have been translated into 29 languages. And her new one, it's called Death's Door, True Tales of Tragedy, Mystery, and Bravery from the Great Lakes' Most Dangerous Waters. Call in with a question or comment for the children's author, 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. Barbara, welcome to the Ideas Network. Good morning. Good morning. Your new graphic novel depicts these five true stories of events in Death's Door. And if you, you know, Death's Door, this passage between the tip of Door County Peninsula and and the nearby islands, what do you hope children learn from Death's Door? Well, I hope they learn that nature is what it is. You don't get to change nature. You need to adapt to it. And I hope they learn that people from long ago aren't so very different from them. I try to relate um, the situation from people centuries previous to things that kids are feeling and experiencing now so it doesn't feel so remote. Why is Death's Door known to be such a dangerous passage? It's a combination of a lot of different things. Well, Lake Michigan, we have more shipwrecks in Lake Michigan than any of the other Great Lakes. So there's that. I mean, there's a there's a lot of danger on the lake itself. But now the passage has uh, rocks beneath the surface, and of course the water rises and it and it lowers. So you really never know where those treacherous areas are, and the wind um, as well can blow through there like a demon, and that makes that passage really tough. And in in doing your research on Death's Door, you actually went out on a kayak tour so you could get closer <laughs> to it and experience it yourself. What was that like? Well, I'm really a landlubber, and I, I'm a terrible driver, and I'm just as bad in a kayak. So somehow <laughs> I, managed, <laughs> I managed to convince my granddaughter to come with me, and the group um, moved ahead, and we kind of zigzagged going... <laughs> back and forth with the kayak because we couldn't go straight and we were laughing our heads off but I was able to see the bones of shipwrecks below the water and I was able to see the rock wall the cliff wall that has the pictographs that indigenous people Potawatomi uh, painted on there many many centuries ago many years ago. That must have been so moving for you to see that. It was because I I hadn't yet researched it, but when I talked to Dr. Patrick Young, who's an expert in um, the Potawatomi and the history of this area, and he was hypothesizing, really believing that these pictographs indicated a battle between um, the god of the water and the god of the sky, and the god of the sky is the thunderers, and I could t- remember the shape of one of the uh, in in the pictograph looked a great deal like a thunderer so that to me felt right it all settled into place when i heard that um explanation 
We're talking about a new children's graphic novel. It's called Death's Door with Port Washington children's author Barbara Josie. And you can join in with your questions and comments along the way. 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. Barbara, at times, Death's Door is a sympathetic character trying to warn people of the potential dangers. Why portray this deadly passage as sympathetic? Well, he says in the very beginning, I am wind, I am water, I am rocks so sharp they can tear a boat apart. I can't help what I am. I am death's door. So I thought to myself, um, how many times do we say, if these walls could talk? You think about your home that may have been owned by somebody else or maybe even yourself. You think about a bar or a beauty parlor and all the stories that it's heard. And I thought, what if this passage knew those stories, but it is it is powerless to help and it would be stoic, I think. I mean, then I tried to imagine what kind of personality it would have. And I thought it would be stoic, but it would have regrets because it would not want to have inflicted pain, but it couldn't help what it is. The message being, it is up to us to understand that the lake or anything like it has dangers inherent with it. And it's up to us to exercise caution and whatever protective measures we can. When you explain um, the story of this monster battle at Death's Door told through Potawatomi families, you correct a narrative about um, Potawatomi families who crossed Death's Door um, somewhere between 1690 and 1763. How is the real story different from the myth? Well, I guess (laughs) that we we have no proof of any of it. We Mm. really don't. People are guessing. Um, I weighed in on this side of it because it made sense to me. The um, other part of this, the story that's often told about Death's Door, which is how Door County got its name, is that um, there were warring tribes that fooled each other, and one of the tribes caused the other to kind of come to an unsafe place, and many of the warriors drowned. That didn't feel right to me because I thought they were smarter than that. I don't think they would have fallen for that trick. And they were very brave and they wouldn't have. I mean, some of the stories say that they captured some uh, Potawatomi and tortured them and they told their that the others were coming. But I don't think that torture would have. Those were very, very brave people. And I don't think torture would have caused them to um, fess up. So this one that it be the the story that I told that was Dr. Young's story and corroborated by a couple of papers, um, it felt right to me. So these the story I told is not uh, warring tribes. It's about a trade party that left and stopped for a lunch on a cliff that was dry and it was a sunny day, but we know death store, a storm can come up very, very fast. And that's what happened. A storm came up and they were trapped on this cliff and couldn't leave and couldn't get up the cliff. Mm. Um, Dr. Young also described, well, I asked him some questions, you know, and I said, what, why did they, um, Oh, he said they they would put offerings of tobacco on the water as they were paddling. And I said, why? And 
he said, well, as a peace offering to Mishu Pishu, the god of the sea. And then I said, what happens if they don't offer a peace offering? Well, they could be um, consumed by the water or there could be a storm between Mishu Pishu and the thunderers. Mm. And that's what he believed that the Potawatomi would have been thinking when the storm came up, it was a fight between the god of the sea and the god of the sky. Was it difficult for you to find accurate information about Death's Door, considering that it is the focus of fables and and tales? It was real tough. It really (laughs) was. And because I am writing in this case for Wisconsin Historical Society Press, they want everything to be proven as much as possible. They understood this, um, my my um, interpretation of Death's Door and the Potawatomi was an interpretation, but there was no proof we could find anywhere um, that, that corroborated co- completely any of the stories. <clears throat> so I really had to dig to find um, any kind of evidence of the stories. And when you think about newspapers, today's newspapers have a pretty good standard of factual, but earlier newspapers wanted to tell a good story. Hmm. So you really couldn't even count on that. Um, There were lots of different um, places where I could find information and I just dug everywhere. Barbara Josie is a children's book author in Port Washington. Her new graphic novel for kids is called Death's Door, about dramatic moments in Great Lakes maritime history. Be part of the conversation. Call in with a question. You can share thoughts at 800-642-1234. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network. It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. We're in conversation with children's book author and Wisconsin native Barbara Josie on crafting stories for young readers. Her new book is called Death's Door. It's about the narrow strip of water on Lake Michigan's shore between the peninsula of Door County and Washington Island, known for shipwrecks and tre- treacherous storms. Call in with a question. Be part of the discussion. 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. Lisa in Milwaukee is here. Hi, Lisa. Hi, good morning. I love the title of your book. Now that I know what you're talking about, I was thinking you were going to talk about <laughs> death. Uh, but I have a question for you. How are your children um, getting a hold of your books? Are they online? Are they on Kindle? What are they doing nowadays with books for children? Thanks, um, Lisa. The, these books are available in paperback only, and we designed it in paperback um, so the kids could stick it in their backpack because that's what they like to do with books. Um, But you can get them on, of course, Amazon and any local bookstore. And I think they'll be uh, readily available in bookstores. 
you know, and, and more here on on your process and in the publishing, you know, more than 55 children's books now over the decades. How how do you find an agent, a publisher who really believes in you and, and trusts your vision? How do you get that toehold? Well, normally you would go through an agent and I do have an agent, but in this case, um, the Historical Society Press had a relationship with the illustrator, Renee Grafe. And so Renee and I put our heads together and came up with this concept. And we went to the press and they were delighted to have us as part of their team. Um, We love working for the Wisconsin Historical Society Press because they give us a lot of creative freedom, but they are very, very strict about the facts being correct. And they have experts not only Uh, um, on the publishing team in the editorial area and marketing area, but they have people involved in the educational um, education for kids. So they understand standards. They suggested that we include a bibliography. I really thought, oh, what kid is going to read a bibliography? But their education experts say kids do. So having people who are very closely connected to the schools is super helpful. Several of your books, including Dust Door, as you mentioned, are illustrated by Renee Grafe. What is your relationship like with illustrators? What is that collaboration like? Normally, I don't have a relationship with an illustrator. (laughs) I'm assigned an illustrator by the publisher. But in the case of Renee, she is really my best friend. And (laughs) she groans when I call her. I called her yesterday and I said, "Oh, oh, we're in trouble because... My brain has gone AWOL. And when that happens, it usually means it's cooking up a new project. And she is in the process of moving. Um, So she didn't need another new project. And she just groans. We're very, very tight. And we collaborate tightly on everything. So I there's no word move that I make without consulting Renee. And there's no illustrative move that she does without consulting me. That said, I'm queen of the words and she is queen of the illustrations. <laughs> you, you you stay in your own lane, so to speak. What is your writing process like once you have a good story idea? What happens? Well, when I said my brain is AWOL, I feel like when it's cooking up solutions and it's cooking up words and sentences and phrases there is the narrowest strip of brain left for my day-to-day activity and I do things like bump into things and I have trouble sleeping and I know that my brain is just working I just let it go and I recognize now those creative juicy times when I just have to let it go I can't push it I can't try and write but then I'll wake up and I'll have, is in the case of Death Store, the very first sentences in the book were came to me very quickly. So I just kind of am in service to what my brain is cooking up. Death Store is your first graphic novel, though. Uh, why publish a graphic novel? Well, I've always wanted to. I, mm-hmm. any t- I mean, a story is a story, whether it's told by a campfire whether it's read in a novel, whether it's told pictures only. 
And so you find a new genre. I, I mean, I've done children's theater, I've done musical, I've done music. All of those are ways to tell story. And this was a way I hadn't tried before, graphic novel. And so I thought, what are the differences? How can I use them? And I thought um, by using separate panels, all of those make children stop and think. So we have several areas in the book that are many, many panels for a single sentence. And that makes children stop. Mm -hmm. I also use words like listen, look, feel it, think. All of those make children, make the readers stop and assess. What would I do? What's happening here? Notice what's happening. So I, I tried to use the things that the graphic novel would offer me and, um, and use them to my advantage in the story I wanted to tell. We are talking about the new children's graphic novel, Dust Door, with Port Washington author Barbara Josie. You can call in with your questions and comments, 800-642-1234. Barbara, we heard from Rachel um, in Redcliffe called in and is wondering if you were able to speak with tribal members about the Potawatomi stories and the legends um, in your book. Yes, I did call and the Historical Society talked to the people at the Potawatomi Center, um, Library and Cultural Center. And they could not they could not come up with something because this happened so long ago. There just were no records of what happened. So they kind of came up empty. Um, so then that is when I turned to Dr. Young, who brought up um, letters and journal entries from people who had visited with the Potawatomi that seem to corroborate the story that he tells. Your books have been translated into 29 languages and Ghost yes. Wings was adapted into a bilingual play on the wings of a mariposa. Do you, do you approach stories differently knowing that they could be translated? Yes, I think this book, Death Story, would make the most wonderful play, sort of like Our Town. <laughs> and I... You know, I started out my writing, actually, writing neighborhood plays when I was a little girl. And I love theater. So occasionally, I'll just come up with a story that I think this is really made for theater. And Death Store is one. I would love to see this produced. What were your neighborhood plays about growing up? <laughs> oh, well, I, I did things like Aladdin's Lamp. And I don't, I mean, I would take a story that I knew and make it into a, a play. And of course, we used a bedspread curtain and <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. And um, we charged the parents who paid for all the things that were in the play. <laughs> and the other, the other thing that I did was I had a, a partner in crime, Mike, who was my best friend at that time. Very creative guy. And he and I cooked up schemes and dreams and charged the little kids money to do all of them. For example, we created the Land of Green Ginger, which was a trail along the woods into the swamp and into onto an island that had a blood bug tree. Oh. <laughs> so we would take the kids and charge them to, to take a tour. And one of us would be sound effects. So we would hide in the woods and we would make spooky sounds while the other one took the kids on tour. But what that made us do is in order to get the kids 
to pay each time, not, not just once, but more times, we had to change the story. So we were constantly thinking in terms of story. I didn't know that writing was a thing. I just didn't even know it. I didn't have a library in my school and I didn't have one in my town, Grafton, until I was in probably around seventh grade. So I didn't understand really what fiction books were like. I was in a Catholic school and all the books were about saints and they didn't sound like me. So I ended up just creating story constantly in my mind, not knowing that that was kind of a pre-writing exercise. Barbara Josie is a children's book author in Port Washington. New graphic novel called Death's Door, stories capturing moments in Great Lakes maritime history. Join in the discussion. Call in with a question. You can share your thoughts, 800-642-1234. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show here on the Ideas Network. It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. What a pleasure to have Wisconsin author Barbara Josie, who has written more than 55 books for children, translated into dozens of languages. Latest one is called Death's Door, featuring two stories about the stretch of water near Lake Michigan's notoriously treacherous western shore. Call in with a question or comments for a children's author, 800-642-1234. Email ideas at wpr.org. Alan in Menominee is here. Hi, Alan. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Go ahead. Well, the, I was a former scuba diver, and I, I had one commercial stint help pay my way through college. And I dove uh, on the, what you formerly was the telephone line that connected the mainland uh, with Washington Island, and it went out through um, a couple other islands to get there. One of them was a small Coast Guard island. And that I can tell you that there are currents in Death Store. It, it's like scuba diving in a river, and at that time it was a clear river. We could see a 100 feet or more, and the, the, the current would change with, without warning. Uh, you might be swimming into the corner, kind of into the current, kind of quartering in it to, to go to, on a straight angle. And we would follow this cable, which had a malfunction. The, the, it wasn't working anymore. And they were looking. It was the first repair job of a, a underwater uh, telephone line probably in the world. In hmm. uh, and, and the current, I was shocked at times swimming how the current would change. And it would even take rocks on the floor uh, of Lake Michigan, whether you were swimming in 90 feet or 100 feet or 80 feet of water through there. Wow. Alan, Alan, thank you for describing what that feels like. Barbara, what comes up for you? Yeah. Wow. It makes you think about the people who lived on Washington Island or one of the other islands. You know, it it isn't just about shipping that took that treacherous passage. 
imagine, and this is what I ask children to imagine, imagine you're living on the island and you have no connection. I mean, this is a phone line. I don't know when the phones came in, but of course there were centuries where there was no phone line, no access to mail, nobody could cross what they called the crystal bridge. In the winter time, it's easy enough and well, difficult, but possible in the summer, but in the winter, it's ice. So do you walk it? And what happens in the spring when the waste, when the ice is soft? So to be isolated on Washington Island is really, really, it's a little bitty island. And even now there aren't many people, the graduating classes are maybe four children. So imagine if you lived on one of those remote islands and you had no way to get supplies or communication with anybody on the peninsula. Ellen, that's so dramatic. I'm so glad you told that story. There's a story about a mail carrier who delivers goods to remote islanders. What is this story in your book? Oh, I, you know, I, I got this story in a crazy place. It was um, the uh, story of mail carriers of Washington Island. Now, that's kind of a an obscure publication, <laughs> but it had, in the words of the mail carriers, their experiences. There were so many stories. So for a long time, there, the U.S. Postal Service didn't have a mail carrier. So in the case of Henry Minor, uh, the um, people on Washington Island asked him, after being isolated for most of the winter, to please pick up the mail and supplies um, in Sheboygan or I'm sorry. Um, it's, so he he had to, well, in Green Bay. Green so Bay. he had to go by foot with his sled from between minus 23 degrees and minus 30 degrees, six to seven days on foot over the Crystal Bridge through the snow. And he used his own words to describe that was one of the lucky places where I found, I mean, that's a pretty good, um, a resource when you can find it in the words of the person who experienced it. And he, he went, he had stops along the way that he could make and stay overnight. When he got to Green Bay, he packed a sled, but it was a, it was a, a big blizzard and everybody said, don't go. But Henry said, well, I'm going to go because I want to make church in time. So mm. he, he took off minus 30 degrees and had to plow, you know what it's like to go through fresh snow. It's exhausting. And in his words, I know that he was eating fat pork and molasses because he'd learned that that keeps your energy up, taking a sled full of supplies so that the people on Washington Island could um, get the things they needed and a little bit of news from the newspaper and some letters. So they, they, pitched in and paid him $20 for that trip. Mm. It's an amazing trip. And I won't tell how it ends because it's there. It's a big surprise. And um, it, 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 it shows the character of the people, you know, well, the character of the people, but the first cabin he arrives at when he's so cold and frigid, they weren't welcoming. And, and, you know, that was even hard for me as an adult to accept. Right. Yeah. I know. What, what how could you... that be? Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, it wasn't the first. He'd gone 
um, without incident, except for minus 23 degrees. <laughs> he got through the first three stops. Um, then when he got to Green Bay and packed up, now he's headed back in the storm and just he can't go further. And he describes how he he his his exhausted and his legs give out. So he falls in the snow. But, and, but you know, when you fall in the snow and it gets cold, this feeling comes over you that it's a pleasant thing. And you could just take a little rest, a little snooze, and you'll be all right. And it's a trickery of the cold that numbs you to have that thought. <clears throat> so he he knew that he couldn't he couldn't rest. So he's too tired to go on. So he claws his way through the snow with his mittened hands. Then he gets to he sees a cabin ahead and he's excited. Maybe he he anticipates a nice dinner and resting by the fire. He gets to the cabin. And the men are fighting inside and they won't let him in. Hmm. Barbara Josie of Port Washington, a new novel is Death's Door, a children's graphic novel. You can join in with your questions and comments, 800-642-1234. Joe in Hillsborough is here. Joe, hi. Hi, good morning. Good morning. So... I'm a pilot, and I've flown into Washington Island uh, on numerous occasions. There's a small grass strip there. And one of the things that I love about that area, uh, particularly Washington Island, is as you take off, you're almost immediately over the water. But just off the coast of uh, Washington Island, there are visibly two shipwrecks that are on the bottom uh, of the waters and I think it's kind of testament as to you know how difficult navigation was and and the um the the trickery of 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 being in that area on the water wow Joe and you can see those shipwrecks visible to the eye from the air yes yes it's kind of fun to see them Wow. Well, thank you so much for for calling in. You know, um, it reminds me, Barbara, of your story of a character who is a female shipbuilder. And um, you you write about how her work was unrecognized. Can you talk a little bit about the story of shipbuilding in in Destor? Well, in this case, this is a ship built by a couple called the Clows. And in those days, of course, I, I mean, it took a little digging to find out that Sarah Clow was one of the two shipbuilders. She and her husband, David, were the shipbuilders. But she's not mentioned. She It's usually David Clow, Captain David Clow, David Clow. But but um, I dug a little bit deeper and found out that there were two people who built the boat. And consider they were they were on Chambers Island, two of them. They were the only family on the whole island. Every single thing that was on this schooner was built by hand by these two people. And Sarah also had seven children and she had to grow the crops. She had to take care of the children in the household. And they were apparently quite a jolly couple. They loved to laugh and really, really loved each other. But in those days, a woman isn't mentioned. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting was I know that they had to use this kind of a saw, which is a log that is suspended on a trestle. 
and one person stands on top with a with a saw and the their partners uh is on the bottom so they're going up and down with a saw but Sarah was on the top because David was quite a large man and he wouldn't have been able to stand on the top. They did everything. They even built the nails called trenails um, that are pieces of wood. Everything came from that island and they did it themselves all by themselves. Can you, th- you know, what must have been like, and I think there's an illustration of this, but just seeing that boat sail for the first time and, and, and seeing all of those years of work coming to fruition. Yes. And if you read the back matter, um, it describes what happens to that boat later on. It, it's stuck. It gets stuck in a swamp because a storm pushes it onto, into a swamp, but David refuses to give up. So he finds a way to dig out of that swamp and get the boat back on course. There was so much pride in that kind of a, a ship that I, I I can't imagine. And this this book, Death Store, is certainly about a passage. And I love the two men who called in and describing what that passage is like. But more, it's about the people who created the foundation or the bedrock of our state. They're resourceful, brave, sometimes greedy, sometimes heartless. But you read that book and you get a good cross-section or a mosaic of the people who formed the bedrock of our state. Children's book author and Wisconsin native Barbara Josie, our guide to the craft of writing for young audiences and her latest graphic novel, Death's Door. Call in with a question. Be part of the discussion at any point, 800-642-1234. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network. It is the morning show. I'm Kate Archer Kent. We peek into the creative world of Port Washington children's author Barbara Josie, who finds inspiration in watching the waves on Lake Michigan and walking its shores. Barbara's new graphic novel, Death's Door, depicts dramatic moments from Great Lakes maritime history. Call in with a question. You can share your thoughts at 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. Barbara, a tragic story in the book is about cabin fever, this team of Washington Island basketball players who die crossing the passage in winter. And then a steel-hulled ferry is then built to ensure safer passage. How significant is this ferry? Well, it's the lifeline for Washington Island. As you read that story, I mean, it's late winter, and early spring, which is the most dangerous time. I mean, if it's full out winter, you could probably cross safely, cross the crystal bridge or the ice safely. But when the ice starts to melt, there are slushy spots and you can fall through the ice. But things can drive people out. And one of them to dr- that uh, drove people out, off of the island was cabin fever. They They wanted to experience something new. And that's one of the places where I relate it to kids. Let's see if I can find that place. Um, 
it says, oh, now this is 1935 and it's the Washington Island men's basketball team. So we use several little panels to give you the feeling of cabin fever, which I think kids can identify with. Mm-hmm. Feel it. The creepy crawlies, like mosquitoes buzzing under your skin, like you can't stand one more minute on the island, one more minute of cold, one more minute staring at the walls of your room. The islanders islanders call it cabin fever, a kind of winter madness, a hunger for adventure, just as real as the hunger for food. It makes people burst out of their homes, their safe places for adventure, for fun, for something new. So I describe this familiar feeling to kids and have the Islanders, the which is what the basketball team was called, uh, leave the island in a um, in a, a group of cars all together, caravan, and get safely to uh, the peninsula. Traveling back, a terrible accident happens, and the men enter death's door. They fall through the ice and enter death's door. That was a huge loss for the island because they're so tight. And as I say in the book, on an island this small, everyone is neighbors and every neighbor is a friend. Mm. So there's a big grieving for these men that had had to be treated very sensitively because the descendants of these men are still on the island. But you are not going to change that feeling of needing to go out or wanting to go out and get off the island. So what can change again? You're not going to change death's door. You're not going to change the passage. You can change the way you cross on the passage. And so the ferry was created with um, a front that could break through the ice. And now it's safe to travel on the ferry across death's door. It's we who have to change, not nature. You you mentioned how this is still a sensitive subject on the island, even today. How do you broach that trauma as you write, um, you know, and, and talk about the, the family's descendants? Well, you have to tell the truth. The men died. But I treated it in, I think, a, a pretty sensitive way. Um, we'll find that place. Um, okay. But they never make it home. A search party spies their tire tracks and follows them to a hole in the ice. All six men have entered death's door. On tiny Washington Island, everyone is a neighbor and every neighbor is a friend. The loss of even one is a loss for all. Listen. This is the sound of the island crying. The people and the trees and the beasts all mourning for the friends they lost. That is the howl of my that is the howl of my wind, for I am crying too. Mm-hmm. So to show mourning, to show feelings of this passage that couldn't help what it what it is, that was my way to handle this and let the islanders know that it was it was a, a tender thing to have lost these friends and neighbors. But it is also the truth. That's what happened. So that's the way I treated it. You walk along Lake Michigan nearly every day and your windows look out to the lake. You write about the lake. You embrace it. What should people know about Lake Michigan? It's 
the most exciting place I can imagine. I can't imagine ever not living beside it anymore. And it has so many moves, moods. Every single day is different. But you cannot take it for granted. It it has dangers to it. And when they when when the weather says gale warning, when it's hazardous to go out into the water, you should not. I have a brother who's a crazy guy and he's he fights wind and water or he says he plays with it every day, almost every day. He does almost all of the wind water things there are to do. But he's very respectful of what the lake is and what it will do. And he takes precautions for that reason. He doesn't stop playing with the lake, but he's careful about it. And you have to be. There are too many deaths. Oh, I've also um, created a shipwreck walking tour along Lake Michigan because the stories are so dramatic. So I it's an app-based program. That you start at the light station mm -hmm. and you download it to your phone. And my crazy brother and I, Don and I, are the voices on the uh, tour. And I take you through a number of shipwrecks along Port Washington's coast in dramatic ways, sort of like a radio play with sound effects, sure, uh, sure. fog horns and things like that. <laughs> Maybe harkens back to your youth just a tiny bit. Yeah, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> do, you, do you consider your stories a form of conservation for Lake Michigan yes. and, and natural waters? Absolutely. I I feel so strongly. It's such a beautiful, mysterious, it's, it is it is like a person to me. I'm imagining another story that I want to write. This would be a, a, a novel, a kid's novel about uh, one of the uh, shipwrecks um, that happened right outside of the very center of Port Washington. And I'm, I think I'm going to call it Frozen Charlotte is the name, working title that I have for it. So the lake, it just, it, it never stops surprising me. Oh, I have to say this. I was walking, this was a couple of weeks ago, and I got to the bird sanctuary and I looked down at our South Beach and I was with my friend, Mary, my walking partner, and I said, what's that? I couldn't recognize what it was. So I took my phone and I enlarged the lens, took a picture, and then then enlarged the picture. And I said, I think they're flamingos. <laughs> and that's what they were. Indeed. I don't think anyone had seen them at that point. There were three people on the beach. Yeah. Two women were reading and weren't looking up. And one little child was digging in the sands. So I think they maybe just landed. And lo so and behold, those never news know. reports, you never know. Well, Barbara, never know. what a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Barbara Josie of Port Washington is the author of more than 55 children's books. Her new one, it's called Death's Door, True Tales of Tragedy, Mystery, and Bravery from the Great Lakes' Most Dangerous Waters. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show here on the Ideas Network. 